out of Matthew chapter 6, so we're going to continue in the revolutionary way, and we're going to start in verse 25, and I love this text. It's a famous text. It's going to sound really familiar, and I've preached out of it several times, and I, I uh, really love hearing it, and it reminds me of the way I'm to be living um, as I follow Jesus. So jump in there with me. Chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 25, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May the Lord bless his word. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to share your word. It's so powerful. It's so special to me. I sit under its authority, and I recognize that this is the primary way in which you speak to me as your child, and I'm all ears ready to listen and soak in what you have for me tonight, and I pray that this is the same spirit and posture of these young people. God, we commit them to you, and we pray that the breakthrough happens that needs to happen, the humbling of hearts would happen, God, the the repenting would happen, the convicting of sin would happen, whatever it is that you're trying to do in us, God, we just welcome it. We pray these things in your name, amen and amen. So, I used to work for the city of Claremont, and I worked there for a total of five years. Some of you guys go to Claremont, and I used to oversee the teen programs, the Yak and the Tat. Good old El Roble, good old Claremont High School. Anybody from Claremont, anybody? All right, that's how I know you, girl. I met her when she was a seventh grader. So in this stage of my life, I was at the Yak. It was my heart, my passion, dude. I love working with teenagers, right? And you guys would get out of school. You'd walk up through the skate park. You'd come into the center, and I'm there ready, rocking it. I'm killing it, man. I'm at the peak of my youth game. I'm engaging with all these youngsters. I'm building deep relationships. It's becoming a place of safety and home for these youngsters. And it's been a dope thing, right? And all of a sudden, my lady gets pregnant. And I realized, shoot, I'm working part-time, and I need to hurry up and make something happen because there's a baby that's coming and another mouth to feed, right? I started stressing and worrying. And at this time, it just so happened that my coworker, uh, his name was Joseph, who's a very talented gentleman, um, was present there, and we were at equal status, and a job opportunity became available to now take the supervisory role of the entire yak, right? So this was a full-time job, there was benefits, all these things that would have been great for me and my family. So we go for it, we both go for it. 
And I respect this cat, but to be honest, his game ain't better than mine, right? Like, I had that kind of mentality. I was like, man, I'm killing it here. Like, I could see he was a good dude, a great leader, but maybe didn't have the same skill set as me, right? There's something called the godly confidence that I felt was at work in me at that time. I was like, dude, I know that I know that I know I'm the best candidate for this job. My heart is invested in this work. So we go for the job, right? And there's like 12 people that go for this. It gets narrowed down to two of us. And it's Joseph and myself. And we're told that we have one final interview. We go, I feel like I knock it out the park, right? I'm excited for the announcement. And they come back and share that Joseph has indeed got the position. And I was pissed, right? But more than being upset, I was worried. I started tripping out. I was like, God, I thought this was the opportunity. You were making a way. I thought you were going to provide in this way. And God was just kind of like steadily saying, calm down, dude. Something's working in the midst and there's going to be another opportunity. So another opportunity came, but it happened in a different package and it was down at the TAC. So I moved down to the TAC at a full-time position and I'm rocking it. I'm killing it. I'm investing in kids' lives, man. I'm passionate about my work. And it just so happens that God put me in that position so that I could connect these kids to the cross. 90% of the kids that I was working with were then at that time my youth group. They were coming to my youth on Wednesday nights at the church that Patty and I were pastoring. And I got to share the gospel. I got to see many of them be baptized, right? And God really punked me and he reminded me, he's like, dude, you're worrying and stressing about everything under the sun, about how I'm going to provide for you and what's going to come the next day and how you're going to feed this mouth of your baby daughter and, your, and how are you going to make it possible for your wife to be at home and for ministry to happen and for you to chase your, your dreams and your calling and your ministry. And God reminded me like, I got this. I got everything under control. And what was crazy is after two years being at the TAC, what happened after that was I felt God pulling me like radically into full-time ministry. It started brewing only when I had made that move to the TAC. So we made a decision to walk away from this work with nothing, no income. We were crazy. I don't know what we were thinking, babe, right? And we went and we planted a church here in Pomona. And that church grew. And I look back and I see, if I never would have not got that job, I don't know if I would have been used by God to impact the amount of lives that I've had to impact through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just thank God for everything that he was doing in my life and that he's doing in my life now. So you have your papers. The main idea is this for tonight. If you don't remember anything, I want you to remember this. Learning to entrust your life to God will not only limit, limit your worries and stress, but it will also fuel your desire to seek his kingdom with passion. I'm going to say that again. Learning to entrust your young lives, HSM, into God's hands will limit your worries and stress, and it will also fuel your desire to seek his kingdom with passion. You know, Pastor Eric's been preaching out of Matthew chapter 6, and we've been talking about living this revolutionary life, right? And everything that Jesus seems to be teaching and doing is like upside down and countercultural, and it's kind of different than what's actually happening, and it's not the norm, right? It goes up against this legalistic type of living and this religious, you know, faking the funk type of Christianity, right? And, and Jesus comes in, and he brings this like raw like fresh revelation to the people of God. 
And he starts saying things in Matthew chapter 6. One of the things he says is, I want to warn you, Matthew is saying this, against two things that tend to continue to happen amongst God's people. And these are corrupt things. Number one, Matthew chapter 6 talks about hypocrisy. How many of you guys hate hypocrites, man? How many of you guys hate hypocrites, right? But dude, we're like the worst ones, so you better put your other hand up. How many of you guys are hypocrites sometimes? Raise your hand now. Come on now. We all are hypocritical at some point, right? But Jesus, you know, is talking about through this scripture that he's teaching against hypocrisy. The second thing he's teaching against is he's warning us about being worldly minded. And you see that through the text. Number one, he's saying, don't be a hypocrite. He says, don't be as these people are and don't do as these people do. And we've been reading in it. Look at Matthew chapter six in the very first chapters, right? He talks about giving, right? He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Look at verse two. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, right? Truly, I say they have received their own reward. But when you give, give to the needy and do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. He's saying, man, don't give as they give. They're giving, say, hey, look at me, right? I'm passing over this food to this homeless. Hey, look at me, I'm kicking down this person, this youngster who needs a shirt with the $20 bill so he can go and buy it, right? He's saying, man, don't be a hypocrite. Go and do these things in secret. He also talks about hypocrisy when it comes to prayer, right? Let's look at Matthew chapter six, verse five. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their own reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he goes on into the Lord's prayer and he breaks down practically how we are to pray as believers, right? He says, man, don't be like the hypocrites, but be authentic Christians that are actually pursuing a real relationship with Jesus and talk to your heavenly father, not announcing it so that you get all this praise and reward, right? That you would actually do this in secret. And the third type of hypocrisy is when it came to fasting, right? These three things, giving, Praying and fasting are like foundational things and teachings and practices within the Christian faith. They're so important. They're so essential. And he wants to teach us the right way. When it comes to fasting, he says this. In verse 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and that fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their own reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others. Again, he says to do these things in secret. So there's something revolutionary about this teaching. The second warning that he gives in Matthew chapter six, and this is gonna bring our topic together really quickly, is warning against being worldly minded. He says this, that we should not lay up treasures in places that thieves can come in and jack us, right? And he says, don't lay up treasures where rust and moth can get to them, right? He says, but lay up your treasures in heaven. And then he gives this, this talking point. He says, where your treasure is, there also your heart is, right? So he's saying, man, don't be thinking and doing like these people, but do and think like I do because you are my children, amen? 
He's saying, be future-minded, be kingdom-minded. And when you think, think with the mind of Christ. And when you see, see with spiritual eyes, right? And the reality is that God is at work in every moment, in every situation. There's always something that God is up to. And if you keep doing these things like these other people, you'll miss it. And if you keep allowing this worldly mindset to seep in, you'll miss what God is up to. That's what he's warning against, right? Now we land in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Do not be anxious. And what does he say? Don't worry about your life. He says, don't worry about food. Don't worry about your bodies. And don't worry about clothing. He, he's starting to talk about the most basic things, right? Really what he's saying is, you are not like those who are without me. Don't, don't worry like those that worry that are without me. He's saying, you have to come to this realization that you are children of God. You are deeply loved, highly valued friends of the most high God, right? He says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends, right? And he says, greater is no friend than one that lays his life down for you, right? He's helping us change our mindset to understand that we are grafted into the family of God. We are children of the most high God, and we have all kinds of spiritual blessings and benefits that come with that, one of them being you never have to worry about your father and whether or not he's going to take care of your basics, right? And I think as Christians, we can misunderstand what he's really talking about. When you really break it down, he's not just talking about food and clothing because we're not all living in third world countries where we're really in need of some of those basics. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. Some of us, we're balling, right? Some of you guys got the dopest shoes on, man. I wish I could rock some of these, man. Some of you guys got some sweet shirts and jackets. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. We're blessed, right? But what he's talking about is just life's basic things. So I thought about this in the mind of the youth. What do youth worry about? Worrying about acceptance. Worrying about what kinds of friends they're going to have. Worrying about dating relationships. Worrying about your identity and how you look in the mirror. I always used to get all these pimples. I used to hate it, right? I used to be right there like, okay? I mean, worrying about all kinds of things, right? Rejection. All these things that slip into the mind of the young person. God is saying through the scripture, you don't have to worry about these things. You know that wanderers are worriers, right? Those that wander always seem to be those that seem to worry. And God is saying like, man, you don't got to worry. Therefore, you don't have to wander. You can sit really close to me. You could sit under me and understand that I'm going to care for you. So he's saying, now that you know that you're children of God, right, he says you can now live this revolutionary life. And what is one way to do that? Number one, take no thought of your own lives. Take no thought of your own lives. These things typically consume the life of the others in this world. So those that don't know Jesus, you think about it, it's like a rat race, right? We're running around. We're concerned about when's the next promotion. What's the next opportunity? What's the best school to go to? What am I going to do in my future? How am I going to get those next J's? Man, I hope this girl likes me. I hope this group of students accept me so that I could be in the cool club, etc., etc., etc. He's saying, man, these things, these basic things, right, they tend to consume 
people and it takes their focus off of being kingdom minded so they miss what God is up to because they're so concerned about taking care of their basic needs. But when you understand who you are in Christ and you understand that God's got all those things under control and that's one of the promises that you can bank on and that you can count on, then you can now become concerned about other things. Guys, do you understand that just use this city alone? In this city, there are souls to be won. In this city, the gospel message needs to be preached with passion and authenticity and integrity. In this city, there are poor folks that are right outside of our doors who are in desperate need of a meal, but some of us are planning to go to McDonald's after this and pick up a shake. Do we not understand that there are youth that are wandering homeless right now, but we're going to be ready to go home tonight and sleep on our comfortable beds? Like God wants you to be about his business. He wants you to stop worrying about the basic things because he's got you. He's always going to work it out. He's always going to come through, right? Here's the thing is, I don't want to get it misconstrued and twisted, okay? There's a difference between a godly sense of responsibility and confidence and an ungodly, untrusting worry that usually masks itself as responsibility. So God is not saying, don't be hardworking, don't be a planner. God is not saying, don't think about your future. God is not saying, don't go get a job so you can provide for your basic means, right? He's not saying that. He's saying, right, don't do these things and then actually leave him out of the equation. Don't do these things not trusting and believing and depending on him that he will eventually work in and through these opportunities to bring those things to pass. Are you following me here? Right? God is at work. So what the real issue is, is here in verse 30. I want you to look there for me. Ready? Matthew chapter six, uh, six, verse 30 says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So the issue here is faith. Do you actually believe and depend and entrust your entirety into the hands of your heavenly father today? Walk into your small groups asking yourself, do I really trust God with all of my heart? Do I really have faith that he's going to meet every single one of my needs? Do I have faith that I'm his child and that will never change? Do I have faith that he can use me in miraculous ways to accomplish his work and to expand his kingdom here on earth? Do you have faith? And the answer is yes, young people. Today, be filled with faith. The Bible talks about how faith is a gift from God. So begin to ask God for faith and he will give it to you. When you seek him and say, man, God, I want to be this kind of revolutionary person. I want to be like you, think like you, see through eyes like you. Help me, give me faith so that I may believe. Amen? Help me in my disbelief, in my unbelief, right? So the issue here is faith. But here's the thing, God's perfect divine providence will always be enough. And this is something I want to drive home to take us home. You know, God finds joy in meeting your basic needs. I'm going to give you a story to kind of bring it to pass. I went and extended myself, true story, my wife knows this, and I put $500 down 
on some kids that I really love and care about, right? True story, just happened. After that, we're sitting there kind of saying, okay, God, it's your turn, show up. A $400 check is given to us right back at us, like almost the next day. This just happened. But what I had to understand was, God, how come you didn't give me 500, you know? Seriously, I started, how come, how come you didn't just give an even trade? And I had to understand that God's providence, him providing for us, is divine and perfect. He knows just how much of what you need and when you need it. He knows the right amount. He's not going to give you too much. He's not going to give you too little. Amen? So he knows, and you can trust that he knows the right formula, the right amount. And I love the Bible. He talks about how God apportions grace to cer- in certain levels to certain amounts of people, right? Like, why would he get more grace than him? Well, who cares? God's wiser than us, right? He knows better than us. Why would God provide for him and not? Well, maybe you ain't ready for that, bro. Maybe you're going to mishandle the blessings of God because you're not mature enough yet, right? So we got to start thinking like, man, we got to trust so much that even when God doesn't come through like we think he should, he knows best. And he's setting us up to be stretched so that we could endure and last for the long haul. He's developing our character, right? He's working us through trials so that we could persevere and come out perfected in the faith. He knows exactly what you need and how much of it you need. When he provides, we must remain diligent in our callings. And I love this. He says here, let's turn back to Matthew chapter 6 and end with this in verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. You notice he says, seek first, right? He puts an emphasis on that. Not seek second, not seek third, but make God's kingdom first priority and worry not about everything else because it will be added to you. What does it mean to seek his kingdom? It means to be concerned with eternal matters. It means to love people, to serve people, to herald and preach the gospel with your everyday lives, right? What does it mean to be seeking God's kingdom? It means to be a person who is a young person of their word. Man, I challenge you young people, when you start digging into this puppy, it will radically change your life. You'll never be the same. Mess with it, I dare you. It will change you. The living, active word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword and can pierce the hardest hearts, man. Open this baby up, right? What does it mean to seek God's kingdom first? It means to become people that pray honestly and authentically to God. What does it mean to seek his his kingdom first? It means to fast and to lean into him, to go without so that you could go with him. Amen? It means to do all these things and more, right? You got to understand that there has to be an urgency. There's this hint in this passage that refers to an urgency with the expansion of God's kingdom. That means that there's not too much time left. That's what he's referring to, right? That time is ticking, that the day's coming, that Jesus Christ, our heavenly Father, who resurrected to the right hand of the Father, will be back and will return and will rapture his church. For all eternity, we'll get to be with him. That time is coming. The Bible talks about a day of judgment, and he's saying, with urgency, be about my business. Amen? And seek first my kingdom, and worry not, because everything will be added to you. Let's pray.
Lord, I just thank you for another opportunity to preach your word. And I just thank you for your word and how it speaks to us and challenges us and corrects us and convicts us, encourages us, God, exhorts us, all of these things that your word does. We're just so thankful that you choose to speak to us in this way. I pray and I sense in my heart, God, that you're doing a work in all of these young people's lives. And I really believe that tonight's gonna be one of those nights where they have a breakthrough and, and something changes in their spirit and in their heart and in their mind that, that you, Holy Spirit, would begin to come in and take hold and take lead and take charge of their lives. And we would begin to see the most beautiful works begin to happen. Lord, you're doing something new in many of these young people's lives. I sense it. I just pray that as we go into small groups and with these last 30 minutes that we press in and we lock in and we be about your business by engaging in godly conversations and kingdom conversations to see what you're up to in our neighborhood, in our lives, in this world, and that we would dare to walk with you along this journey, that you would so use us broken vessels, God. We're even thankful that you would do that, Lord. So we just commit every single one of them to you. We ask this in your name. And everybody said, amen and amen.